Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. Today's episode is sponsored by IMTS Plus. I am the Director of Technology, Benjamin Moses, and I'm here with the awesome technology analyst of AMT, Stephen Lamarca. Steve, how are you First doing? of his name. <laughs> the first of his name. Wow. That's a new title. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, my dad's name was Lou. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm in the first Steve, <laughs> not the second, second Steven in the family, but like yeah. he was a great grandfather. So. I think we should use that more often. It's, it's, I mean, Game of Thrones did it, but that <laughs> ended terribly. So maybe not. Yeah, it depends on how you want to end. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, maintenance. You believe you mentioned you had some good. Okay. Uh, so this is a bit embarrassing yeah. on my end since I just got off of, I've, I've come down from this riding this awesome wave of industrial maintenance, right. how to take maintenance seriously and, and how you can better maintain your assets. Yeah. And I take a lot of pride in maintenance. Sure. That being said, it, to be fair, all of my vehicles that I like, you know, pilot or drive um, are Japanese. Sure. They make the most reliable stuff out there. They don't really need to be maintained as well as, I do. Okay. I, I, I maintain them. Um, what you can get out of that is I deserve a Ferrari. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, I take great care of my stuff. Um, I, I have this stuff documented. Okay. I even do go above and beyond by doing ridiculous things like sending, you know, in every other oil change. Well, every 30,000 miles, I take an oil sample, send it to Blackstone Laboratories in like the Med- Midwest and have them do run the oil sample through a mass spectrometer to tell me everything that's going on in my oil to. And then they take that data and give me that they extrapolate a conclusion uh, as to what's going on, what's the condition of right. my car's engine or motorcycle's engine. Um, motorcycle doesn't have enough. It, it will be eventually, but it doesn't right. have enough miles on it yet. Yep. Uh, it's still brand new. Um, anyway, I, I do stuff like that. Right. Also, I've had things like I'm, I'm you know, it's the car I drive is a sports car and I like to give it a quality alignment. Yep. Quality alignment means a lot. Like it's <laughs> it's a sports car is all about the feel. Sure. And the experience, like, you know, if you get like a luxury car, you don't want to notice anything. Right. Like around your in your surroundings. Uh, it, it, a luxury car has to feel like a living room that you just want, takes you somewhere. Right. You want to feel almost a little numb. It's a very nice appliance. Right. Right. A sports car is like the opposite of that. Correct. Doesn't necessarily. A lot of people think it has to be fast or it has to corner. Well, no, it has to give, provide a visceral experience. Uh, that that delivers more than what like an, a standard car would. That's right. Um, you want to not, feel not less like a luxury car, right? You know, um, you want to feel the car and how the car is connected right. to the road. Jeremy right? Clarkson once said that, you know, a, a, a sports car's suspension should not be soft and forgiving. It, it should well, it should be forgiving, <laughs> but it shouldn't be soft right. and, and and delicate. Right. It should be firm. And what it, it should give you feedback of the road, right? Like you should know everything about the conditions of the road that you are on. You should feel every uh, uh, surface change. Like mm-hmm. when we go from concrete to asphalt and back, or you should feel every joint in a bridge. Um, if you hit a squirrel, you should know what the gender of that squirrel <laughs> was and what it had for breakfast. Um, That's fair. And 
so an alignment is very important. I've had really nice alignments done to my car. Um, they, I've even had a shop attempt to corner weight the suspension, which is not an adjustable suspension. So you can't really corner weight something like that, but you can at least get it on a nice alignment rack. Sure. Um, and, and they took a lot of care for it. And, uh, you know, they tell you what your alignment was before mm-hmm. they changed anything. And they also show you the after. So you can see the delta right. in what your alignment looks like in the event that you are not astute enough to actually <laughs> notice what's different in your alignment. Right. Um, so anyway, I've had my car for now eight years. Yep. And I still don't plan on getting rid of it. I love this car. Good. Um, and I've noticed for like the past maybe year or so that it starts to get, I start to feel a subtle vibration right. around 60 miles an hour. Barely, it's barely noticeable at 60. Sure. As I approach 80, really around 75, then it becomes more noticeable. It's yep. still not bad. And, you know, as I take it faster and faster, it gets more, the vibrations become more and more intense, but it's still totally manageable. Yep. And I've always written this off. For like the past year, I've written off this vibration as to, being you know it's, the car's not a spring chicken anymore <laughs> sure it's not a new car anymore you know it's it's just this is these are these are old car vibes <laughs> sure um yeah. and but anyway um one of our colleagues is having some work done on his fancy car very right. nice car it's in between a luxury and sports car which sure. i just said isn't a thing that can happen <laughs> but it is and it's 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 really he's got a, such a cool car Anyway, he's got to have some work done to it. Right. And it's expensive work. Yep. So um, I told him, well, a, another colleague that I, him, him and I, we share um, a very good mechanic. Okay. Um, we suggested to this guy that's having the issues, go to this mechanic. He does the best job. Stephen and I swear by him. And I, I do. I absolutely sure. do. Um. Met him at Tyson's. Okay. He hops from shop to shop, but he works for a company that owns all the shops, right. but, but he moves around cause they know he's good. Right. So you follow with every guy. move. Yeah. He gets a promotion, right. but thankfully they keep him on the shop floor sure. because he does, he, he is, he's an artisan. He's an artiste <laughs> sure. when it comes to working on cars anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just making sure that I can send, our colleague to the right shop to meet with this guy, Carter. You may have seen him in the YouTube videos Mm -hmm. that we did for IMTS on the IMTS YouTube channel. Um, He does. He's in the video where I talk about is a mechanic, a machinist or vice versa. Right. And in this example on the video, we prove that yes, a mechanic in this case (laughs) is a machinist. Um, But anyway, I want to send our colleague to him because he does a good job and yep. he treats you well. But in the process of going through all this, I see on the company's website on their a la carte options mm-hmm. for, for things to be maintained on a vehicle, right. road force balancing, $40 per wheel. Wow. And I'm like, I've actually never had this done before. Sure. Cause I've always seen, you know, rotate and balance the tires right. as a complimentary add-on that you have done with every service. Right. And I just assume that they do it um, because it's done for free, sure. but then realize how much are you really getting when something's <laughs> done for free? And right. though I wouldn't right. say it's done for free because the services, especially if you take it to a dealership, aren't the best deals that you're getting. Right. But anyway, 
I've always had it, ro- you know, tires rotated and balanced, but yep. I've never had a road force balancing done. So I tell, I ask Carter what his availability looks like. And he, uh, um, he tell you know, I set up an appointment, um, and I dropped the car off for a road force balancing $40 a tire <laughs> times four. It's like 160 bucks. Sure. And he comes back to me like a couple hours later. And he's like, the road force looks good okay. on all four wheels. So we don't need to change anything for the road force. So I'm not going to charge you for the road force portion of the balancing. But one of your wheels, like your rear right or something like that, mm-hmm. is grossly <laughs> off. Grossly and, off. <laughs> and that explains A, the vibrations you're feeling okay. at speed. Yep. And B, why a year ago you had to have a wheel bearing replaced Oh man! because this kind of vibration will eventually make a wheel bearing go shot. Right. And when your wheel bearing goes shot, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is expensive. Right. Uh, well, it's expensive enough to notice it. Um, and no, they're noisy when they go like you'll hear like tire roar, what you think is tire roar. Yep. Um, but it makes the same noise that worn tires will also make. So that's yep. why a lot of people blow it off. But bad wheel bearings will actually destroy a suspension, like like one right. corner of your car, too. Yep. And so you'll need to get like new bushings and stuff like that. It is a slippery slope if you let a <laughs> wheel bearing go. Right. But it can be caused. What I learned is a bad wheel bearing can be caused by a bad balancing. And sure. this wheel has grossly off. <laughs> so he fixed that. Only had to pay $90 plus labor and taxes, sure. well, including labor and tax. So he saved me some money because he's the best mechanic ever. Love you, <laughs> Carter. And take the car for a test drive after getting this, this road force balance, even yeah. though I didn't need to ro- get this proper balancing of the tires or the wheels. And take it onto the 495 express lanes, bring it up to three digits. Uh, excuse me. This was a closed course professional driver in Mexico. Bring vehicle speed up to three digits. No vibrations. Wow. It is better than brand new. That's awesome. Right now. That's a great feeling. I hear a tire roar, sure. which I'm hoping isn't a wheel bearing. But I think if it was a wheel bearing, I'd probably feel it too. Right. The the tires that I have are summer tires, like really high performance summer tires, Michelin Pilot Sport 4S's. Yep. And I've had them for about two years now. Well, it actually is exactly two years now. So, and because it's a soft summer compound, they've probably worn enough that it probably is tire roar. But it's just, I I, I come off as this guy (laughs) that's like, or I try to, I'm a self-proclaimed maintenance guru of all things industrial maintenance related. And I totally let this thing slip past (laughs) me and I feel awful about it. But at the same time, it's crazy that this the slightest, the littlest thing that a lot of people overlook yeah. because it's typically included in, you know, your your um, periodic service that it actually makes such a huge difference. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all the service stuff that I've seen. Uh, a lot of my cars are older. I've never seen um, rotation and balance. I've seen rotation. I actually I run a lot of staggered wheels also. So you're not going to rotate those. Anyway. Yeah. So the balancing of tires is actually rare for me only it only happens when i buy new tires which with with summer tires they do wear pretty quickly um but yeah i i agree it's it's one of those things that it's more reactive from my perspective that i don't i don't know a lot of people that proactively check their balance because why would it go out of balance you'd lose a weight or something like that right. then you notice it right so right i mean it and it, it's it's just weird because like like i said you know the car is eight years old right it's not supposed to drive perfect forever <laughs> right right and so uh, I took a trip. So 
the parallel would be I was in a rental car for about four days two weeks ago. Uh, we had a joint meeting over in Schaumburg, uh, the west side of Chicago. <gasps> yes. Tell so me about this. Uh, AMT and NTMA got together and uh, they hosted a, a joint meeting at two facilities. We stayed at DMG Mori and the next day we uh, stayed at Heidenheim. Um, so the content was very good. We talked. We covered a lot of new forward-looking technology that's available now. Right. Um, and there was an interesting uh, theme throughout the entire content where we look at how we can accelerate the manufacturing process through simulations. So instead of getting to a physical part right away or cutting the part, we're actually doing a lot in the more simulation world or the digital world where you can prove out your process and get to almost the first part correct uh, mentality. Yeah. Um, but it, there's a lot of um, interesting technologies we looked at, uh, integrated computational uh, materials engineering, uh, looked at like FEA software and different um, uh, predictive tools for additive. Uh, we looked at sim- simulations and human to machine interactions on automation. So that was a very interesting uh, look at how important um, like the human side of automation is, right? Not just obviously the the equipment and things like that, but how do humans interact with this equipment uh, going forward? Right. Um, and I was really impressed with both facilities. So um, DMG Mori, it was a very clean environment, which is very on brand for them. Obviously, oh a my lot God, of yeah. Stuff. So you enter through the shore, uh, through the lobby, and then you walk through their manufacturing floor. And then the uh, uh, the conference area is uh, elevated, but it overlooks that uh, area. So it was actually fairly cool. loud. So equipment was running. They're cutting parts. They're cutting chips. Right on. Uh, so they had a lot of uh, AV equipment that you could he- obviously hear over. So it was a fantastic facility. <laughs> and we saw um, their hybrid. they were running the hybrid machine for us. Right. So they're actually cutting chips for our tour at the end. So this is DMG Mori. DMG Mori. Okay. And they ran their uh, hybrid machine. Uh, so it was growing apart as we were there also. I had no idea. This is this really speaks bad to me. I didn't know they had a hybrid machine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do they partner with anybody to do the additive part? I I, I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know. Is it laser powder bed fusion or powder bed fusion? No, it's a DED. It's a direct energy okay. position. Okay. Um, so wow, it, that's so cool. It's really cool to I see to because they're growing a uh, fins on a shaft. And the shaft was say an inch in diameter, and the fins were probably about another inch or so off the uh, off that. Cool. And kind of like a blisk. Uh, kind of. It was okay. more like a, a prop. Uh, okay, gotcha. Uh, underwater uh, propeller. A screw. A screw underwater. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so it was just interesting that you, uh, when you look at power bed, you don't see the part; you just see the that layer, and then you don't. See yeah, it. and then you see the 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 rastering of the right. laser, which looks so sick. You don't see how fast it's growing. So on the hybrid machine, it was growing fairly fast. So it was probably there for like. A couple of minutes and it grew probably about um you know three of those fins within like four minutes or so wow so and i think that's where the uh advantage of hybrid is you grew it on the part itself on the shaft as opposed oh, to starting. Oh, okay so this wasn't a fresh part this was a repair uh so you started with the shaft and it was growing the fins on the shaft <gasps> gotcha so like the, the shaft was like bar stock yeah yeah exactly and that, that's really cool so that, that was, is something i haven't seen before yeah. Um, tell me about, about Heidenhain. That so was, I know you posted it on LinkedIn yep. that you were at Heidenhain. Yep. And then I commented asking if you had seen any rotary encoders. Yep. And you said you saw all of the encoders. So, But I'm like, like semi-serious about that. Yeah. I don't know what a rotary encoder looks like. And all I know is that Heidenhain makes the rotary encoders that are on the James Webb Space Telescope. I think so, yeah. I forget the first name. Yep. But the Webb Space Telescope that's better than the Hubble by <laughs> yes. like 2,000% or something like that. And 
they use Heidenhain yep. encoders. And the importance of those encoders is such a big deal because when they see something interesting that's like light years away yep. or whatever, um, they have to know exactly where it is. And the, what allows that is the precision of those encoders. That's right. And so what does an encoder look like? And did you actually see them? So let's back up. <laughs> DMG Mori is more of a tech center. So they're showing off right. uh, their equipment. Uh, it's a wide variety of equipment. Um, they do training there and obviously sales support. Heidenheim, they do assembly there. So they actually are okay. assembling their their, That's their controllers. They're assembling a variety of different things there. So, you know, they got raw PCB boards that they're making. They're making their own wires. Wow. Uh, so it's a fascinating facility. It is a manufacturer facility. It's an yeah. electronics manufacturer facility. And, of course, they're doing all returns. So anything that gets returned that goes back to that facility for repairs and they can have a road That's inventory. That's so cool. So when you talk about, um, you know, what did we see there? We saw everything that basically they had, right? So we yeah. saw, uh, so they have, a, I guess, a couple of brands <laughs> of controllers uh, that they had. So they talked about that. We you saw imagine if somebody, made. if they sent back the James Webb telescope <laughs> for repairs. No, just the whole thing. Just the whole thing. <laughs> uh, so when you, uh, so when you saw the, like, the encoders, right? I, yeah. They weren't making those there, but they had kits where you can retrofit like a uh, an email, like a bridgeway, Bridgeport, or um, I think they have some other <gasps> like uh, some no other way. brands. So if you want to convert it to have a digital readout, yeah, or you can a also, or you can uh, add a uh, motors to it too, so you can have it fully yeah. CNC and manual control. So that's so cool. It was cool to see. So Heidenhain makes those kits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they send you a full awesome. box, and then you can have a your maintenance department do it or a tech do it. So we need a Bridgeport. That's heavy, man. I know. <laughs> they will know this building will never totally break our lease. Yep. All right. So that was a good time. Uh, that sounds fun. Today's sponsor is IMTS Plus. Manufacturing digital content to get you ready for IMTS and after. We're hosting videos and articles on topics relevant to manufacturing technologies and the business of manufacturing. Importantly, it's all free. I guarantee you'll find something that you like. So, Steve, the first article I have is from, uh, where is this from? Straits Times, maybe? I don't know. And they talk about uh, autonomous robots, AMRs and AGVs. Nice. Particularly uh, in the medical industry, in the in healthcare. And the interesting dilemma that uh, is coming about is, you know, healthcare is deploying a lot of uh, these autonomous or automated vehicles, mm -hmm. like dispensing uh, medicine or running equipment back and forth. Um or sanitizing, or sanitizing. The hospitals, right. you know. So going from point A to point B, it's a thing. Um, but hospitals are fairly complex. You know, it may have to traverse an elevator. It may have to open doors. Right. There's a lot of, uh, we'll call them obstacles, that could prevent a, uh, a robot from getting to its final destination. And uh, this article talks about how Singapore's effort uh, to help uh, create a common language for robots to interact in a building infrastructure. Wow. So it's fairly interesting where you're combining equipment and building infrastructure, which uh, I wouldn't say a lot of that occurs, but uh, I'd say um, so. They've so been, like the robot mm -hmm. could communicate with an elevator. Yeah. So it's called as it's approaching. Right. So instead of putting a finger or arm on it, yeah. to push buttons, which is fine. You could do that, too. You know, that's go, really that's really cool. They could wirelessly communicate to each other. Yeah. I also like the fact that, you know, and that you bring up the use case of, you know, just from delivering something from point A to point B. Right. This could greatly reduce the chances of uh, Nurse Jackie's. <laughs> Maybe. You know, but there's uh, no fun in that. <laughs> <laughs> You're bad, Bian. You're bad. So they're coming up with a standard. It's called RO, 
row my dash h. So um, there's a bunch of uh, groups working on this. Um, I'm glad they didn't try to get cutesy with it. No, no, not too cutesy, but it's a common language. It's more of a middleware between uh, the devices. So obviously there's a starting point and, you know, think about this more, right? So they, in the article, they use a phrase, uh, common language. I think that's where we are in the digital transformation age, you know, industry or industry four, 4.0, maybe four and a half, five is things are just communicating, right? It's not yeah. just data collection. It's more of devices, devices, communicating devices to humans communicating to us. So I think that's, uh, you know, I think the next shift war towards, um, in general, and we see that growing obviously with empty connect is more device device communication, but it's, the underlying principle is just increased communication. Right. Right. So, you know, it's, it's messed up. Industry 4.0 is like the millennial of, uh, <laughs> industrial, industrial, uh, uh, um, advances. Okay. Because like, you know, we, we talk about, you know, mass production, the assembly line, Ford's assembly line is right. like this, this immediate click, this right. aha that happens. And meanwhile, industry 4.0, it's just, just things talking to each other and <laughs> also, you know, nobody's like jumping right into it. Nobody's flipping a switch right, on it. Right. It will be, you know, 10 years from now and people will be like, Oh yeah, I remember when that happened, <laughs> but nobody remembers the exact point. That, right. And, and, and nobody, no like organizations, no job shops, no facilities will, you know, do it with another facility right. at the same time. It'll yeah. all everybody's gonna you know bloom at their own pace <laughs> and it's one of those things where i think at hindsight you can say this specific thing occurred therefore industry 4.0 occurred right i don't Absolutely. think i don't think you know the ford assembly line they're in the middle of it like we're in the industrial revolution like, i'm sure some it occurred much <laughs> later right someone said there's a cool thing that happened we'll put yeah. a marker there well this company's doing this they're doing it maybe we should uh jump into it infrastructure I mean, there is some, okay, so there is some um, building infrastructure communication standards in general. You have like BACnet and things like that where, yeah, yeah, if you're trying to aggregate. So like uh, the use case would be uh, your metrology room. Mm -hmm. You need to control the uh, environmental conditions plus equipment in there. You probably want to aggregate that information because all of that is critical together. So being able to aggregate, you know, what's the, uh, what's the air conditioning on? Do you need what's a the clean temperature? room? Do you need a clean room? Do you, what's the humidity in that room? And then. Was the machine on at that time, right? There's all all those factors that you could kind of lump together yeah. into a single scenario where you have to control the environment. Was the door open? Yeah. You know, was the door closed? All those are scenarios kind of can aggregate together into a use case. Also, building infrastructure, you know, as, as advanced as a lot of buildings today want you to feel right. like th that they are, there's a lot of buildings that are still really junk. <laughs> like... Yeah, we we work in a really awesome building. Right. You can hear the wind blowing. Like and, and you know, during cicada season, somehow those little guys make it in here. Yep. Yep. Um fortunately none of the bees on the roof have come in here. That'd be but, fun. Uh, that would I would imagine what kind of commotion that would stir. Right. But uh But the the use case is, you know, improved uh efficiency or yeah. you know, what is the goal, right? So if like at at my house I use EcoBee for the thermostat. Yeah. And the complexity of that controller is that it can sense when someone's there so if you have <gasps> a schedule that's wrong like if i leave and it's supposed to be for the home setting and no one's there it'll just go into eco mode right so right. but the benefit is i get lower um energy bill right yeah 
if you go to the manufacturing side or even the industrial side, like here, we could definitely save some money by getting better insulation, more closed loop uh, thermostats. But on the part side, you know, how do you verify this super when you're holding really tight tolerances? The changes in temperature affect the part drastically. Right. Right. So, yeah. Getting and, to those and, and, you help. know, um, an industrial company like an industrial manufacturing company has made it big. When they release or when not release, but like when they have their name on like common household thermostats. Oh, sure. You look at one in the office. These are Siemens thermostats. Right. right. <laughs> if it wasn't for us working in this industry, we would have no idea what Siemens is. Maybe somebody, maybe, maybe somebody in passing would be like, oh, they make uh, hospital MRI machines. <laughs> yeah. They make hospital yeah. equipment. And a big conglomerate. You know, yeah. you go home. My apartment has a, uh, has a Honeywell <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thermostat. <laughs> yep. And we haven't upgraded like Google Nest or is anything it like, like that. Is it like dial Honeywell or is it? No, okay. no. It's a modern <laughs> Honeywell with like buttons and a okay, screen. Okay. But yeah. it's like, yeah, they're a huge Beltway bandit that yeah. uh, gets government contracts. <laughs> but they also make this thermostat. Yeah, that's fun times. I had a Honeywell fan in military school <laughs> that we kicked out of the window. Yep. So you got an interesting one on, you know, sharing technologies. You got something from Colby University. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. So I thought... um your article was going to be about automation. So I wanted to like tie it in together. Yeah. Um, so have you heard of Colby university? Or not, it's not Colby university. Excuse oh. me. Colby college. Colby college. No, I'm not familiar with. They're Colby in college. Maine okay. and in new England. There's a, like a dime a dozen. There's a, well, I'm not saying that's mean. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of, well, there's a good amount of colleges and universities in new England, close to Canada. Sure. Um, that are very small and few people have heard of, but they're very good schools. Right. You know, I, w- I went to one. Um, and, but in Maine, Colby College uh, is a college that exists. And there's this guy that lives up in Maine. This article introduces him um, and, and what he's done. But this guy took it upon himself to Fritz Onion um, <laughs> buy, bought a Boston Dynamics spot. Fully loaded spot, too, sure. by the way. Not just like one of them random dancing dogs, but like, <laughs> you know, the robot dog with collaborative robot uh, arm attached to it. Yeah. So full on uh, IMR right. or AMR, if you would. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's got the robot arm and everything. And this guy, I'm pretty sure, like bought it because, you know, lives in Maine, probably has good men money, sure. um, you know, thinks the tech is cool. And you know, guy buys a uh, uh, one of these robot dogs to like you know scan his lawn for sticks <laughs> that blew over in the last nor'easter, <laughs> pick them up, move them out of the way, stuff like that. Yep. Anyway, this guy's like, you know what? I don't really have a use for this expensive eighty thousand dollar <laughs> robot. I'm going to donate it to a local school. That's cool. Colby College gets the donation of yep. this awesome spot robot dog, and they're using it for obviously educational purposes but they're they're sharing the wealth they're they're sharing the experience and the ability to work with and on this robot with uh some local as low as junior high schools in the area so it's just really cool that this is this technology is sure i'm looking for more use cases (laughs) on spot sure and i love documenting and talking about you know oh spots doing this now yeah spots are being used for this it's also really cool that people are buying this as a tech pet. I'm, <laughs> tech I'm, put pet. It, I'm gonna put it like that, a right. tech pet. That's a new term. And uh it's 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 awesome. I kind of want I, I wish I had the funds for uh <laughs> or, or even a lawn to 
<laughs> to use a uh, a robot dog to you know scan for weeds yeah. and whatnot. That, and that's an interesting use case. Right? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I want nothing to do with a lawn, but <laughs> if I can buy automation, sure. industrial automation yeah. that will take care of it for me yeah. instead of hiring a crew to come out every week, done. I'll get back to that. But I do like the idea of, you know, sharing technology. So the idea of, I mean, the used market for manufacturing equipment is massive. But the idea of, I bought a thing. I don't need it anymore. Let me donate it for someone else. Yeah. I think that's solid for, for the industry in general, right? So getting uh, new experiences at the collegiate level. And obviously they're sharing it at lower grades too. But the idea of, hey, here's a IMR basically. Let's figure out what problems it can solve. That That knowledge is super useful later to understand more technology adoption. Right. Like imagine, I'm sure there's somebody in our industry that has been like, you know what, you know, I think my garage needs a, uh, somebody probably with a huge wine cellar <laughs> was probably like, yeah, I think uh, I got some garage space, but I don't want to buy another car. Let me, let me buy like a Mazak or something <laughs> like that. Just to throw in there. See what, see what I can do on sure. my own time. Sure. And eventually comes to their sense, uh, senses and was like, you know, I don't want to maintain this uh, <laughs> machine. So why don't I just donate yeah. it to a local university yeah. or college, something like that. Yeah. So I see that we've bought a, uh, at my old company, we bought a lot of used equipment, partly because they're, um, they're, uh, manufacturing style was to use a lot of twin spindles, mm-hmm. which are really hard to come by at that time. Uh, probably still now. So we're buying like all the one brand had a specific type of twin spindle that we brought that we'd liked. We're buying all the used equipment for that, uh, for that market. So that was interesting. Definitely wouldn't recommend it doing that for, uh, a lot, but the used market for manufacturing is pretty solid. My apartment's garage is actually, I've got a good amount of space behind the cars in the garage and i know there's power outlets down there i wonder if i could just buy like a bridge port and put it down there nobody's gonna steal it if it runs on 110 yeah do you need like 240 that's a question for the next episode next episode all right (laughs) oh also i um speaking of the robot dogs i also am going to share in the as as a link in the description below um a instagram post right of um that friend that always leaves the door open, letting the dog out. <laughs> sure. I saw this great post. These two dudes, you know, this guy is about to leave the apartment. Then he comes back in, leaves the door open, like, oh, I forgot my keys. Right. And the other guy's like, hey, close the door. You're going to let the dog out. And then uh, the door's still open. The guy says, what dog? And then this uh, spot robot, well, a spot like robot <laughs> right. dog. It's definitely not a Boston Dynamics, but walks out the door. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Quadruped. Oh, one last thing. Uh, so automated lawn equipment scares the bejesus out of me so yeah. like uh there are i forgot the brand but there are like a couple of self-driven lawnmowers that yeah that's, that's scary too much, that's too much power when you have, when you have corded road, oh, no wireless they are wireless, wireless okay so yeah. at least it can't run over its own cord but that's still nothing stopping it from running over a child <laughs> or animal or that is terrifying st- yeah kicking up rocks or something like that i i i'm not brave enough to venture in that world yet that's smart of you you have a lot of home automation. I have a fair amount. It gets the job done. All right. What's next? RPI launches new rotary access table for portable CMMs. So <gasps> this is cool. Another trend in manufacturing is faster metrology. Mm-hmm. So makes sense. Bashing and queuing to getting in situ on machine inspection. So you verify the part is complete and correct when it comes off the machine as opposed to getting into inspection and getting it back. I think that's, that's obviously a huge trend. 
and also all the cascading stuff. So you have tool probe touching and verifying the tools are correct. Um, so this is another way uh, that um, we're seeing, uh, I see acceleration, right? So the idea of putting a bunch of parts on the CMM, depending on the industry, depends on your uh, quality requirements and sample parts and um, you know how much of your production you have to check. But just getting a part through the CMM can be long. It's just like a machine, right? Yeah, you need access to for all the probe uh, and all the features. Mm-hmm. In some cases, you have to do multiple setups for a single part. So in the article, they have like a, a valve head cover. Fairly complex. Cool. Right? But if you don't want to do multiple setups, as in the human takes it off and then rearranges it so you can get access to the other stuff. Really complex for a part that really isn't that important. <laughs> 100% true. Um, so, you know, attaching a rotary head solves a lot of problems in terms of like uh, human breaking down for a second setup to get to other features. So the article is just a you know quick a reminder of, hey, you know if you have a uh, a CMM that you're moving from machine to machine, or if you have a quick setup, you know it may make sense to have a, a rotary head where you could free up a lot of time. So the article actually talks about in a lot of cases they can reduce their inspection time by like forty percent. Yeah, um, by inc- incorporating a rotary head like this. So I thought that was fascinating. So there's some cool points from my perspective on this article. Um, number one, at Rapid recently, yep. I happened to see one of the metrology companies. I forget who it was exactly. Not like I'm trying to hold back a name. <laughs> forget who it was, but somebody had a five-axis CMM. That's cool on display. Yep. So like you have your your standard CMM is three axes X, right. Y, and Z CMM coordinate measuring machine, and then. They threw on a rotary table, yep. like you said, and then a, that rotary table is on another rotary table so it can do, you know, A right. and B axes, right. uh, rotary axes. Saw it on display, though. That's at a show. Mm-hmm. You know, shows aren't producing. They right. might be doing, uh, you know, actual demo parts and right. stuff like right. that. But you need some in who's going to demo a CMM <laughs> at a show? Who's going to be one of those nerds? And just who has to sit? Nobody wants to sit next to that booth where. You know, somebody has is showing displaying a CMM that's booping the entire time, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I would appreciate that. But I'd imagine other people wouldn't. Sure. Um, before Rapid started, Nina Dayton and I got to tour Lyft cool. uh, Manufacturing USA Institute. Yep. Pretty sure I spoke about this last episode. Don't need to go into too much detail. Um, they had. A, a, a CMM there yep. on display that had one of these rotary tables. So it was nice. a four axis, right. didn't you know, right. but it had X, Y, Z, yep. then rotary table. Yeah. And it was like, this is really cool to see this in like you know, a production facility. They're not right. making part. They're not churning out parts there at Lyft, yep. but uh, they are a production facility. Nice. And it, it was really cool. I'd never seen one before, um, at least one in person at a facility. Yeah. So that kind of had taken me aback. It yeah. was cool seeing that. Um, but, but the other thing that I want to talk about is, you know, expanding CMMs uh-huh. to four and five axes, you know, adding rotary tables uh-huh. and other rotary axes, actual axes to uh, um, a a CMM makes sense. Right. They, I mean, they did it with CNCs. Yep. Why not add it to yeah. CMMs too? It, it totally makes sense. If it can be maintain its degree yeah. of accuracy, why not? The only problem that I see is the same problem with going from a three axis CNC machine 
to a multi-axis CNC machine, yeah. it becomes so much more complicated <laughs> to program. Potentially. And that, so you have that. And I think that's where the subtlety is, right? So um, I, like the five-axis CMM that you mentioned, that's probably very expensive and super accurate. It's, it I could, hope. It's, it's probably measuring as a contour. So it could be articulating mm. all the axes and measuring. Where in this case, all it has to do is index so now the part can reach or the probe can reach it. It doesn't always have so to be So three continu- plus one. Exactly. Not necessarily full on four axes or five right. axes. Can, We're talking nice. And you can, yeah, and you can have the program set up to, um, you know, re-zero after it's moved, verify its new target and do all the verification again that it is in the correct orientation, right? So, yeah. you know, I think you can cut cut a few corners on the rotary table by uh, building a more robust program in the software. And I think, I think that's where, you know, when you add equipment to the CMM, someone's going to say, is it accurate enough? Well, does it have to be? In this case, I make the argument, no, it doesn't have to be super accurate. Old. You can can have the CMM reorient itself as when the the part gets in the new orientation. So just something to keep in mind. I think it's a good experiment, too. I think, um, you know, just like when someone's experimenting, go to three uh, axis to five axis. Mm -hmm. I think once you go that route, you'll realize how much more value there is in there uh, in that. I see what you're saying now. Yeah. Adding an axis to CMM actually doesn't need to be as precision or precise as adding an axis to a CNC machine. Right. Because if you're just re-indexing a measurement process, then you're starting an entirely new file anyway. The part's just the same and it's just changing position because it needs to. Right. Fascinating. You've got our last article on nanotech. It's been a while since we talked materials and nano. Yeah. Tell me about some nanotech. Okay, nanotech. First off, this article's from Forbes, so, you know, what do they know? Um, <laughs> what do they know? I thought they did money stuff, but okay. Three key areas where nanotechnology is impacting our future. Um, TLDR, let's just go through these three areas. Material science, yep. namely in construction. Okay. So something we kind of care about. Yeah, like nano coatings or... Um, that that one I'll be interested in. Yeah. Like what, what kind of nano machines are they putting in my buildings? <laughs> you know, nano medicine. Okay. This one is, uh, in my opinion, is such vaporware. <laughs> We've I've been hearing forever now about nano robots going right. to the right part of my body to properly and more effectively administer the dose of medicine that I need. Right. So, you know, let's say... You're trying to study nano stuff, nanotechnology, and you yep. need to take an Adderall. Do you really need <laughs> all 20 milligrams right. or like that affect your heart rate and give you palpitations and make you grind your teeth <laughs> at night? Or could it be done better if you only use three milligrams of methamphetamine <laughs> and have nano robots deliver it to the exact part of your brain or nervous system that needs it? I get that, but this is vaporware. Yeah. We've been talking about this since like Metal Gear Solid 3, and <laughs> it still hasn't happened yet. So forget that. And then thirdly, there's device engineering, electronics, and wearables. Right. That's a long pause there. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> just, I, I, what, what, what are we going to do with that? <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. It's something to think about. But man, take this with a big old brick of sodium chloride i do i do agree with you steve i think the last two points are have a lot more to progress in terms of this is a real thing i think the nano coatings and the you know applying yeah harder, i'm not going to talk smack about nano coatings yeah nano coatings are awesome yeah we love our coatings love a good coating 
but nano robots delivering medicine <laughs> no and I, I gotta look more into the device engineering maybe if they're talking about like nano machines to help assemble things better that's probably where they're headed there was an article on uh, a millimeter sized robot that i glanced over but i kept going nanotechnology shrinks the device into a convenient size for the home okay still need uh, uh, an example it increases the performance and intelligence capabilities again these are like like <laughs> comments that hold no merit like there's no evidence um it allows for new functions within similar tech for increased potential. All right. I'm just going to stop here. You got to uh, read this article or don't um, to understand what they're talking about. But uh, I've got nothing against nanotechnology. Right. But if you're doing something in nanotech, send us an email. Send us an email. Uh, write me- it on the back of a three by five inch note card made of exactly one layer of graphene. <laughs> And send me your product. <laughs> that too. <laughs> That's the key is, you know, we've been talking circles. There's still so much research, but I can't go by that by now. That's that's the problem. Steve, that was a great episode. Where can they find more info? Are we about done us? already? That was that was a hot wow. hot episode. You can find more about us. And if this article or if this uh, podcast episode wasn't enough for you either, uh, go to amtonline.org slash resources to find more episodes just like this to get your fix. Awesome. Bye, Bye everyone. Okay, bye.